2: Now I did mention that Brian Houston was going to join us in the studio and he is with us. Uh, Brian, good morning. Hiya, how are you doing? I am very, very good indeed, Brian. I have this new album, which is Brian Houston, Hank. Yeah. And you're bringing Hank Williams to, to, to us locally here. Um, it, it's You know, you expect it to have a Brian Houston trademark on it and, and it does. I've been listening to some of it. Why this album?
3: Um, Well, a couple of reasons. One, I have a wee friend called Ron and Ron's a sound engineer and um, very faithful hearted guy would just go around the world for you. And he was going through a hard time and he lost his father and he lost his sister in a very short space of time. So I did it as a gift for Ron because he's a huge Hank fan. And also when I was a child, my father used to torture us with Hank and John Prine and Chris Christopherson, but Hank more than any, probably like everybody in Northern Ireland, we had those albums. One was like a greeny color and one was like a beige color, the same photograph on each of Hank's greatest hits, and they were worn out in our house, so I just felt I needed to honor my dad as well with it. See, people who don't
2: know Brian Houston might think, gosh, he must be a country artist if he's, <laughs> you know, paying homage to mm-hmm. to to Hank Williams. But you would say Hank Williams, he really was in many ways the father of country music, wasn't he? He was well, one yeah. of them.
3: I before country, before Hank really, I mean, people the joke used to be I play all kinds of music, country and western. Do you know what I mean? Like um, music was very, very limited before Elvis Presley. And of course Hank died just in the last day, I think, of nineteen fifty-two. And never even seen 1953. And then Elvis was coming in to make uh, recordings for his mother. Um, So that whole genre of music that developed with Elvis and the doo-wop sound, Hank was pre that. But you can hear when you go back to his thing, you can hear that the, the roots of rock and roll were in Hank Williams. So I think he was not just the father of country music, but the father of rock and roll in a way as well.
2: You know, for people who aren't familiar with him, we're talking about songs like Hey Good Lookin', which is on the tip of almost everyone's uh, tongue. And, you know, I was spoiled for choice here as to which one to put into the system to actually uh, play that, that you're uh, uh, performing on and, you know, that you're providing. And I was drawn to your cheating heart simply because it's just such a great song. I know all of them are great songs, (laughs) but there's something about your cheating heart which is just brilliant, isn't
3: it? And we took a huge risk with your cheating heart. Actually, you've mentioned Hey Good Looking and that was the biggest challenge on the record because it's such a well-known song. Every wedding band in the world plays it. When I've done someone's wedding, I play it. But whenever it came time to record it, it, when I try to do it in that style... It felt tired. It felt overworked. So that's why we went for a completely different, much more modern approach. There's even Moog synthesizer on this record, because it sounds like a 50s record, um, but it has 80s and 90s sounds on it. When it came to Your Cheating Heart, I really pushed the boat out and I really went for the Jordanaires thing. And I stuck it first on the record because I thought, if people can accept this, they can get the whole record, (laughs) you know what I mean? And The material
2: that Williams was famous for, how much of that did he write himself, or how involved was he as a songwriter as opposed to just a gifted singer?
3: Well, he is credited with writing a lot of those songs, but he did write a lot of them with his publisher. And also, back in the day, uh, you wouldn't get away with it now, probably, but... Back in the day, music publishing was only invented. The actual law only came out in 1909 in America. So people were scrambling to round up all these songs people had been singing for years that nobody owned. Nobody knew who wrote them. So there was a lot of stuff that was happening even by the time of Bob Dylan in the 60s. People were grabbing tunes and putting their words to them. Or putting their local colloquial thing on it. So Hank got a lot of that credit, but I think he also benefited from a, a huge plethora of other writers, you know? Yeah, he was able he was at a time where he
2: could be openly influenced by others, taking ideas from others that you yeah. couldn't do with say Van Morrison at this moment in well, time. Well, exactly.
3: Or even look at Ed Sheeran these days. I think he got sued because his song reminded somebody of a song. It didn't actually copy it. It just had the sound of a Marvin Gaye song. And he had to pay royalties. I mean, now you get sued if you get out of bed, you know.
2: (laughs) You're not going to be sued on this (laughs) because you are paying absolute tribute to Hank Williams. And this is Brian Houston doing his version of Your Cheating Heart.
0: Your cheating heart will make you eat. Ba-do-ba-do-ba-do Cause are cheating hard Ba-do-ba-do-ba-do It's gonna tell on you Ba-do-ba-do-ba-do
2: Brian Houston with the Hank Williams song Your Cheating Heart. And also on that album, oh, so many great tunes, including Heard That Lonesome Whistle Blow. Uh, I love the one that is I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. Uh, Move it on over there as well. Hollin' at the moon. Hey, good looking, as we mentioned. Take these chains from my heart. There are 12, 12 altogether. Uh, Brian Houston interpretations of Hank, Hank Williams. It is uh, very, very, very good. What else you up to, Brian? Because um, I, I was reading this great quote that says, uh, I, I just think this is such a great quote. Uh, uh, if singer Ron Sexsmith, and I wasn't o- overly familiar with Ron Sexsmith, I did have to look <laughs> up... Canadian. Canadian. I did have to look up the Canadian guru that is Ron Sexsmith. If singer Ron Sexsmith and Elvis had a baby, gave it to Bob Dylan to raise and hired Van Morrison as the nanny, they'd call it Brian Houston. <laughs> that's, some, that's some comment. What, what do you think of that?
3: That was a Canadian DJ, actually. And... Uh, uh, he's hilarious but um, yeah I mean I go over there a lot I go over to Canada I go over to America obviously we've lived over there for a while and um, I'm often up in the northern frontier with Cree Nation um, this little necklace I'm wearing is uh, given to me by a Mohawk uh, Indian and it's um, it's actually walrus tusk and then the, the little thing that it's an Indian flute shape and the thing on the top is, is mammoth bone fossilized mammoth. So this thing's priceless. So yeah, getting to travel the world and, and meet these people and play music with these people, I spend a lot of time doing that. And also we've done a project recently which we've called King Baru, which is Irish traditional music but done in an electronic style. So it's a completely new project that I've worked with a producer who when we started was 18. Um, so we've done all kinds of different things because... When you're a creative, you just like to express yourself in whatever way you can, and and that just floats my boat. And
2: why are you drawn to the people you've mentioned there? Why why are you drawn to those that we may not instantly think are to be visited when we go to a foreign shore?
3: Well, it turned out um, about 2001, I had recorded the song, and this guy um, was an Indian chief, and he sent me an email, and he said, you want to come and visit us? And he told me where he was. He's in a place called Mysticiny which if you put it into your Google Maps or whatever, you'll see it's in the middle of nowhere and the road literally stops where that is. And at first I thought he was crazy, but then he sent me the money for a flight and I got on a plane and I landed in Montreal and he picked me up and we drove 12 hours to his village, which is Cree-speaking community, is minus 29 and it was March and the snow was the height of a house. And I started to meet these people and hear their music. There was guys up there singing Johnny Cash. I met this old man with only two fingers playing um, Folsom Prison Blues. And (laughs) you meet these incredible characters. And this chief ended up adopting me. And I ended up smoking the peace pipe with a Nakoda in Calgary. I ended up in a teepee in Cape Breton with a Mi'kmaq medicine man who gave me a spirit name. So I've got like this Indian name, which is Brian Grey Wolf, adopted son of Chief Kenny Blacksmith of the Northern Cree Nation. That's my Indian <laughs> name. <laughs> so I get to do all these things and it's it's wonderful. And of course, most people in Belfast, you know, like what's an Irish guy doing meeting natives? But they think that we are Similar people, they have a lot of our music. One of their favorite foods is wild moose and bannock, and they got the bannock from the Ulster Scots, you know, bread. So there's a lot of connections like that, you know.
2: It's it's amazing the life you lead and you play such a wide range of gigs and such a variety of, of places. You you've shared a stage with Chuck Berry, haven't you?
3: That's right. Actually, I opened for him in 2007 uh, in the Waterfront Hall, and they they booked me to open, and they they paid me great and. I went down there and um, there was Chuck, the man himself, and all the instruments were hired apart from his guitar. And when he came off stage, um, I was standing there because the, the manager of the venue had said, Chuck's been asking for £500 pound for an encore. You want to be there when this happens because it's a rock and roll moment. So I was standing there. Chuck comes off stage. I said to him, Chuck, that was fantastic. Put my hand on his shoulder. He takes off his guitar, this old Brian Gibson from the 60s, and he hands it to me. And I'm standing holding Chuck's guitar and everybody else leaves the stage. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this? I pulled out my phone. I took a few photos. And there was a pick, guitar pick with a picture of Chuck on it in the, between the strings. And I took it up to the dressing room, tried to find the dressing room. But backstage Waterfront Hall is a bit of a maze. I couldn't find it. And I came back down. The room had emptied. I was backstage. Everybody had gone. So I went to the security guy. There was no one there. I went to the next security point. No one there. Next door took me out in the foyer. I'm standing there. My brother was helping me sell CDs. We sold 113 albums that night, which was awesome. Um, But people, as soon as they seen the guitar, they started to come up and paw at the guitar. So of course I put it under our merch desk under like a there was a sheet there honestly officer that's when I, that's the reason I put it under there and next thing this bouncer showed up and I was accused of stealing Chuck's <laughs> guitar. You were only trying to safely return it. Yeah,
2: did, did, did he mistake you for a for one of the road
3: crew? I guess, but I was wearing like a black suit and a pink shirt, you know, with a black tie. Maybe in his he was something like eighty four, I think, yeah. when the gig happened. And maybe in his mind, I looked like the bouncers or something. Yeah. But I, I didn't think I did. But uh, so after that, there was a bit of an importation of Chuck. I went and I bought one of those Gibsons and had great fun with it. You know,
2: did did, did he really need five hundred quid to do an encore? <laughs>
3: well, that was the thing with Chuck is that he had been. He's one of those old school guys, and apparently Aretha Franklin was the same. And the way it works with Chuck is, on booking, you pay him half his fee, and when it's three months out, I think from the gig, you play, you pay the other half. But actually, the, a manager told me that they made more money off Chuck than they ever made off any artist because where a lot of artists ask for their fee plus 80% of the profit, Chuck just wanted his fee. So once the gig was sold out, Chuck was a happy man and he, he wasn't greedy. He just wanted to make sure that he was treated fairly. And I, I do understand that. You know, His life experience would have taught him that was the only thing he can do. You uh,
2: where do you see him in the amphitheater of greats?
3: Well, if you go back and you listen to early Elvis Presley recordings, like there's live recordings of him doing Maybelline and songs like that. I mean, Chuck was the guy that put the role in rock. You know, nowadays a lot of um, more sort of white artists, they play rock music, but they've forgotten or they never learned or they don't have the soul to roll, I feel like. Um, the role is a very important part of rock and roll. And Chuck really brought that, that black soul figgling that only, a, only an artist from that background can can bring that's Chuck and sure the Beach Boys copied him and everybody copied him Uh, Chuck was absolutely a legend If, if there is a father of rock and roll if you combine Hank Williams with Chuck Berry, you've got rock and roll.
2: Yeah. And uh, where's Brian Houston in all of this? Because you're doing Hank Williams. You've shared a stage with Chuck Berry. The Christian ethos is all through your music Mm -hmm. uh, as well. You're meeting
3: the Native Americans or whoever. You know, where exactly is Brian Houston? Well, I think I'm just enjoying the ride really. I mean, like I, th- When I started here, when local stations began to play my music, all I wanted to do was just get my music out there. Um, what it has become has been a life journey. And I remember Davy Sinton, who managed a band called Ghost of an American Airman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that band. <laughs>
2: I do, I but do. It,
3: I, when I was just starting out, I was fresh-faced and I met Davy Sinton. I was opening for someone in Rain. And Davy came up to me and he said, well, young Houston, do you want a house with a pool in LA or do you want to make a living from music? And I said, I want to make a living from music. He said, right answer, Houston, right answer. And so it's always been, for me, it's been a, about enjoying the ride, not so much like being, being well-known is helpful when it comes to getting a record sold and making a living. But there's a lot of things happen around music that are wonderful and I'm just grateful to be part of that experience. You know.
2: Well, I tell you, I'm not uh, blowing smoke up your very colourful <laughs> cassock. Uh, people constantly here are asking where they can buy this. Uh, Brian Houston, Hank, it's a CD. Uh, where, where can they purchase it?
3: Well, I'm a bit taken aback, actually, because I haven't done any of this in a while um, in terms of distributing records, but we will put the record out to all good record stores straight away because of the response. Thank you very much.
2: Because the amazing thing is this was not recorded
3: in Nashville. This was recorded in Belfast. It was recorded in the studio I walked over from this morning, um, just above Dawson's. Uh, there's a little studio, and I did it in three days, and then Nikki Scott came in, local bass player, He played Doghouse bass, the big stand-up bass. He played all that in an afternoon, and I added the electric guitars and the backing vocals after that. So it was entirely made, and a friend of mine, John... In Bangor, he mastered the record. The only thing that happened outside of Ireland was the pressing of the CD. It's incredible quality.
2: It's an amazing quality. Brian Houston songs available at brianhouston.com if you want to find out more. Any gigs locally soon?
3: We just played Belfast Nashville, actually, a couple of weeks ago to launch, Hank. So um, right now, I think I'm going to the States for uh, the summer. And actually, I've just been booked to go to Alaska to a place called Minto. There's five, this is, a sto- I'm not making this up. This really happened this week. I have an email on my phone I can show you. Five native grandmothers have asked us to come to play music in Minto. It's so far north, it's nearly in Russia, right? I couldn't believe where it is. So that's what I'll be doing this summer. Brian, enjoy every moment of it. The crazy world of
2: the very talented Brian Houston with us here on U105. You're watching on Facebook.
1: That's stamps.com. Code program. Uh, good morning.